Anything combat with Johnny K. Well, it's anything combat, though. Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat Show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K. Today, we're joined by an absolute beast who just got picked up by the UFC's undefeated as amateur, undefeated as a professional in MMA, FAC champion, as I said, UFC signee. Please welcome Isaac Markain, Dolgarian. How are you, Isaac? I'm doing great, brother. Just got done training and stuff, so we're just relaxing until the fight. What did you uh, work on today? Uh, just basic striking stuff, just range control and kind of just what my opponent's going to be doing. So just stuff like that. My first question for you is about your nickname, Midwest Chopper. Who the fuck gave you that? And <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah, bro. So uh, my buddy Kobe Fair, he trains out at Extreme Couture. Uh, he was my college roommate, and he's one of my best friends in the world. Uh, he kind of gave me that name uh, based on my fight style. You know, I fought a couple fights, and I was just chopping people up. He's using the elbows, just beating them up. And uh, he's like, bro, you're from the Midwest. He likes Tech 9 Tech 9 has a song called Midwest Chopper. Um, and he's like, bro, you're the Midwest Chopper. Like, you're the one that's doing this shit. So, like, uh, that's kind of how I got it. That's hilarious. Uh, do you think it's important to stay undefeated in MMA? I know you are, but if you weren't, would it be a problem? I don't think it's a problem. I think eventually, like, you, you play this game long enough, you're going to get got by somebody. There's somebody out there that can beat you on any given day. Uh, so I don't see it as a big thing, but it's something that I like to keep keep around for a while. When did you start smoking cannabis, and is this, like, something that you're really, really into? Uh, yeah, so I probably started smoking when I was about 13, honestly. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was a kid, uh, and it's something I've done since then. Uh, but I'm very interested in it. I'm working with a good company, Vertical Missouri, right now. Uh, they're one of my big sponsors, and uh, we might be making a strain for myself here uh, eventually after I win a couple fights. That's wild. When I looked at your topology, I saw that it just said featherweight across the board in your amateur and professional. Now, when I went on your Instagram, you put bantamweight and featherweight. So I was a little bit confused. So when you got signed to the UFC, did they did they say that we want you in both weight classes? Why did you put that on your on your Instagram? Because uh, I fight, I fought most of my fights at featherweight. There's a few I fought at 155 and 170 before. I'm not big at either of those weights by any means, but I fought at them just to get the fights in. Um, but yeah, we're looking at going to bantamweight eventually. Um, they said I could at the PI. I did all the testing and everything. They said I could make 35. So it's just something that we're trying to play with. I'm gonna at least get this debut out of the way at 45, and then we might see what's going on down at 35. I saw on your topology something like, I think it was a 165 fight or some shit. I don't know what it was. What's the story behind you fighting at uh, a ridiculously high weight class for your frame? And um, can you just tell, can you run us through that? Uh, well, I, I'm pretty sure that was in the string. I was fighting like every couple months and I believe my opponent fell out. And that I was going to have, and so I ended up taking that fight just so I had something, I was ready to fight. It was funny, though, because I had to hold my piss, like, for weigh-ins. Like, I could barely make the, the limit. So the dude was a lot bigger than me, uh, and I still made short work of the night, but he was a lot bigger, so it was pretty crazy to take that fight. 
So who do you want to call out in bantamweight or featherweight in the UFC? Who do you have your eyes on? I have my eyes on everybody that's in the top five up there. You know, um, I believe that I can compete with all those guys at 35. I'm about the perfect size for it. There's some guys bigger, some guys smaller, but I'm a good good size 35er, and just with my grappling, if I get a hold of you and you weigh 135 pounds, you got your hands full. Like, you're going to have to know really good jiu-jitsu. You're going to have to be scrambly, and that's about the only way you're going to get up. What do you think about Corey Sandhagen versus Rob Font? Were you impressed in uh, Corey, or did you think the fight was boring? Um, I mean, it was a boring fight, but Corey, I'm pretty sure he tore his tricep. Like, he had a full tour of, tear of his tricep in the first round. So, you got to do what you got to do to get the win at the highest level in the world. So, you know, everybody wanted that exciting fight that both of those guys had to offer, but that's just how it had to go down. That's how it went down. And I don't see a point in Sanhagen striking with Font when he can hold him down that easy. Like, Rob Font didn't have any answers on for the get-up or anything. So, I mean, Sanhagen just took the win uh, pretty smooth. I think he could have put out more damage a little bit, but, hey, he's fighting the best guys in the world, you know, so. You're fighting Francis Marshall. Can you tell us about your opponent, what he does well, and how you're going to beat him? Uh, Francis Marshall, he's a good grappler from what I've, what I've seen. I don't know much about him. I grew up in the wrestling world, never really knew a bunch about him. But he has been displaying good grappling skills in the UFC, so... He's a wrestler base. He's got good boxing as well. Uh, so my plan to beat him is to is I think I'm a better grappler, man. I think that uh, my technique is better. He's a big, strong, physical guy, but my technique usually wins the day in that game. Um, Striking-wise, I just got more tools I can use, man. I'm, I'm very dynamic, and nobody's got to see that yet. So I'm hoping to display that as well. What do you think about MMA grappling in general right now? So you got the Samboists in Russia who are dominating, but I just feel like I don't think that it's a Russian grappling system that's dominating the sport. I just think it's a person who can master judo wrestling and jiu-jitsu collectively, like together for yeah. MMA application that wins the grappling. So what are people doing wrong that you think they could correct in general to have more success? Uh, so, I mean, it kind of depends on your background, but I think a lot of wrestlers only try to wrestle. And that's exactly what you're saying. They're only wrestlers. You have to be able to do everything and blend it together seamlessly. So that's the biggest thing on the ground, you know, control uh, and, and, and past until you get your good position, hold them, cook them. Make them tired, beat them up a little bit, and then whenever they move, you got to be able to float and take that position, whatever whatever they present you. So I think that's the biggest thing is you just have to be able to take whatever position your opponent on bottom gives you and make it work. I've got two examples for you. So we've got Kamara Usman and Michael Chandler, two very, very good American-style wrestlers. But one thing that they don't really have is they never put hooks in, they never try and do back takes, and their jiu-jitsu is just not there. So how do you feel about their game in general? If they were to apply that, do you think they would win way more matches? I think, I, I don't know if I would necessarily say they'd win more matches, but I do think that it would help them out a lot in, in these high-level fights, you know? Like, you have to be able to not only 
grapple and stay on top. You have to be able to take the back. You have to be able to put hooks in, like you said. You got to be able to control where your opponent's going and kind of funnel them to your good positions, to your dominant positions. So I looked on your topology and you had a fight with Dan Argetta, I believe his name is. Now that's an absolute banger matchup, but it got cancelled. So I want to know the story behind that. Did you pull out or did he pull out? What happened? No, brother, I had to pull out. So we were about a week out from my from when I would leave to go to Vegas and I tore my LCL in two places. So um, basically I was still trying to fight whatever. And I had an ophthalmology appointment, that's an eye doctor, the same day. And I went in there and they told me that they weren't going to sign, clear me to fight. And I was like, bro, like, why not? I'm good. I see fine. My vision's good. And he said, well, you got a hole in your retina. We can't allow you to fight. Like, we have to deal with this first. And so I had to get the laser surgery on my eye and also deal with this knee stuff because if I were to fight, it's only going to get worse in a full, full grappling match how I would do with Dan. How'd you do the knee and how'd you do the eye? Uh, they don't have a reason for the eye. It could be just overall trauma, getting poked in the eye, stuff like that. And he also said you could be born with it. So uh, we don't really know yet. All I know is it's cleared. I got the surgery and uh, it helped out a lot, I guess. I, like I said, I didn't have any issues with my vision or anything. And then I tore my knee. Um, we weren't even going hard. We were going actually really light. I was going with uh, Brandon Royval, and we just kind of got in this freak position. We were like 50-50, kind of leg lock 50-50 position. I've been there a thousand times, never had a problem the way my knee was, and then it just so happened to click, so it uh, popped. So I don't know if it was just like the tension in my muscles from like training so hard or what the deal was. It was just kind of a freak accident. Yeah, no, that's crazy. What was the hardest fight of your career, Isaac? Um, I would say the hardest one for me, I mean, I think it was my last one, you know, there's a tough opponent. I fought, he beat a kickboxing world champion uh, in Bellator, I believe. And it was a huge, huge height and reach advantage. So I was up against a lot of things. The dude was a vet and he had a lot more experience than me. So I think that was probably my toughest fight to date. Uh, just opponent-wise, I don't think any of them have been like uh, like fights where I've came out injured or like beat up or anything. But I think that's the toughest opponent I've faced so far, and uh, they're not going to get any easier. What was uh, your favorite kickboxer like right now fighting? My favorite all time was Anderson Silva. I love watching him uh, fight. Just the way he, he was able to move and deceive his opponents with certain mo movements and motion and then attack was crazy. I don't think anyone's ever going to be like that again. Would you ever cut your hair? Uh, maybe, uh, right now it's actually pretty long. It's, it's getting down there. Um, and when it's not braided up, it's even longer. So I've been growing it out for about three four years now so since i stopped wrestling and started fighting i've been growing it out so it's kind of a part of my fighting journey right now maybe if you cut it you can cut down to 135 okay so right. i want to ask you about <laughs> want to ask you about winning the fac belt uh what was that feeling like for you man it's a it was a big feeling because i've been watching my teammates go through uh, the system and kind of win their own belts and then the next thing you know they're in the UFC so I knew it was kind of like my time and I just had to capitalize on on the opportunity um, and it was great because there were so many fans in the crowd my whole family showed up um, 
everybody in my family showed up. So it was just awesome to have everyone there. What's the team at X Muay Thai like? It's it's actually really good, man. There's a bunch of good people out here. Like good people, not only as in fighting, but just good people in general. Tight knit, tight knit team. You know, Coach Mark, Coach Mark Montoya. He runs a tight ship, um, and I think everyone pretty much gets along for the most part. How important is it to fight amateur MMA? And what's one thing that people don't know about it that's actually a negative? Well, the negative is you don't get paid at all to get punched in the head. That's that's the biggest negative. But you have to get that experience. Um, and you don't want to jump right into a pro career without at least being tagged up a few times and in a couple fights. So that's the biggest thing. I was only amateur for a short period of time, but... I, I was, it was on to bigger, better things. Like, there's no amateur that was really going to push me uh, or anything like that. So that's why we made the move to pro so fast. And I think that if you're getting into MMA, you just need to get, like, probably seven, eight amateur fights under your belt so that, like, you're used to this game a little bit. One thing that I saw about your record that intrigued me was that you have a 100% um, finish rate in your professional career which is insane. So what are the chances that you're going to finish a UFC opponent? You know, I'm hoping to do the same thing, get him out in the first round, you know. Um, I think that's what my fighting style kind of brings. But as the opponents get tougher, it's going to take longer and you're going to have to actually take it from them. They're not going to give it to you. So that's the biggest thing. I think that I'm fully capable of, of getting the finish um, in the first round or any time in the fight. But it's just if if I show up an A fighter or if I show up a C-plus fighter, you know. How important are bees and how many times have you been stung in your life? Oh, goodness. I've probably been stung at least 20 times, if not more. Uh, but they're, they're super important to to the world because they pollinate all the all the plants and everything uh one they bring you honey which can't be made in a factory well they kind of make it in a factory now but it's not very good for you um and then they they have a huge role in all our fruit and everything if there weren't bees and stuff we wouldn't have any fruit we wouldn't have any anything like that so it's a big deal what's uh where did you get that uh beehive where were you were you on a farm or were you at your house where, where was that yeah, so I have a, a few setups at my grandparents' house out in Paola, Kansas. And uh, I've had them there about three, four years now since I started beekeeping. So I kind of just keep them there. Right now, since I'm out in Colorado, they're actually helping me out a ton and, and working the beehives. And then after I fight, I'm headed back to Kansas City and we're going to do a honey extraction for this year. I want to get my own beehive and set it up at my house. How do I go about doing that? Uh, first off, I would say get a book, um, read that book, know that book. Um, and then usually, I don't know where you're, where do you live again? I'm in Australia. Yeah, I'm sure there's beekeepers out there though. There's, I know there is. So I would probably get like a mentor and see if they can like take you on a farm, take a class or something so you can get a little hands on. And then after that, it's pretty much just a financial investment. You know, you got to invest and you have to know what you're doing. That's the biggest thing. Like the bees need treatments. You can't just leave them out there by themselves and expect to get a bunch of honey. There's certain procedures you have to follow. And uh, as long as you kind of know what you're doing and, and have some guidance, maybe some maybe someone else you can talk to about it, that always helps a lot.
Why don't you change your nickname to something B-related, like Stung or something like that? I don't, I don't know, man. I did this, the Midwest Chopper Stuck. That's what the people like. That's what the people wanted, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> when I looked at your amateur and professional record, I saw you're so active, dude. You fight a lot. How active are you going to be in the UFC now that you're at such a difficult, um, you know, level? Are you gonna Are you gonna keep that same activity, or are you gonna just uh, space yourself out a little bit more? Uh, we'll kind of space ourselves out a little more, but like I said, I I've had a decent sized gap in between my fights for this one. I haven't fought in about a year and a half, so I'm hoping to rattle a couple off. Um, just hopefully I get out injury free and can get back in the gym and keep working, get better. You know, I'd like to get at least one more before the end of the year and then next year take on three, four. So we brought up the 145 division. We also brought up the 135 division. And we said about Rob and Corey how they fought at a catch weight of 140. Now, when I was looking at your frame, I thought this guy looks like a 140 pounder. That's my opinion. Now, do you think that the 140 division is necessary in MMA right now? I think it would be great, man. Like, I don't have to cut hardly any weight to make 145. It's an easy cut for me. I don't walk around that big. But also, 35 is just, it's pushing my body. It's not healthy. You know, I think there's a lot of fighters that would fit in that category right there. They're just in-betweeners of, of the 145, 135, you know. It's, it's a tight weight class. Once you get a little bigger, like 155, it's not as big of a deal. But with these small smaller weight classes, we can't cut as much weight as those bigger guys. We just, it just doesn't happen. We don't hold as much water. We don't hold as much fat. Um, and we're normally, most of us have a lot of muscle mass for our body size. So um, it would definitely help out a ton. And there's people that are there willing to do 140, 165, and 195. What do you think the biggest problem is with having those divisions in MMA? Do you think that they don't want that many double champions? Like, what do you think's the problem? Um, I think I would say that it they don't want to have to change all the weight classes because if you make a one forty, it's it's going to turn into boxing. Everyone's going to want a weight class for every five pounds, you know. Um, so they have to like move one thirty down to like 130 and slide into 140 and they'd have to change the whole criteria of the weight so i think that's probably what's slowing it down is you ha just have to restructure um the weights all the way through to make it work the next um matchup that i want to talk to you about is sean o'malley versus aljamain sterling dude i've spoken to many fighters about this matchup and the conclusion i've come to is aljo's just gonna take him down and rear naked choke him in the first round, basically. Yeah, I think Aljamain is going to backpack him for sure. If Aljo gets on your back, it's a problem for anyone in the world. You know, you can't let him take that position at all. Um, Sean's a great striker, great striker, but I don't think that he has to take down defense to withstand multiple attacks from Aljo. Like, he might stuff one, he might stuff two, but I don't think he's going to stuff 40. You know, so at some point he's going to find Aljo on top of him and Aljo is a master at funneling people to the back. So I could see it going down like that. You know what's so crazy, dude? Corey is like, I give his striking like a nine out of 10, dude. Like he's full on. His wrestling was maybe a six. He's bumped that up to like an eight, like offensive wrestling. He's full on. 
But the problem with Corey is that his defensive wrestling was like, was not really there and he fixed it. He actually did fix it. But one thing that he still stuffed up with Rob Font was the second it hit the ground and I just literally, I looked at the TV, I went, oh God, I go, I wanted Corey to win the belt. And the only way he can't win the belt is because of Sterling, right? And I was thinking about what, why he couldn't beat Sterling. And what it was, was that when it hit the ground, the second he went to the transition to get up against Rob Font, he gave Rob his back in the first three seconds and he did it multiple times. And I went, I went, I thought to myself, so all these years have passed, you've, you've increased your clinch, your striking, uh, level changes, switch stance, offensive wrestling. But the only thing that beat you was the fact that in transitions, people can lock up submissions on you and get your back. And he gave his back to Rob. Now, Rob doesn't have the the level of, um, how can I say, jiu-jitsu that Al Jermaine does. But, dude, dude, don't you see that as, like, really problematic if they rematch? I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of opponent-dependent, you know what I mean? Like you said, Rob's back game isn't quite as dangerous as Aljo's. So, I mean, he's just, he's just got to – he can't be – rolling around and giving his back up if he fights Aljo. It's just that simple, you know. Um, so it's opponent dependent, right? If I'm fighting someone who is uh, a wrestler, why would I give you my back? You know that position a thousand times. You've done that your whole life, you know. I'm going to play more jujitsu and try to get up, sweep, knock you off balance, and then get up, you know, type stuff like that. I'm not just going to voluntarily give you my back. Um, so, I mean, maybe Sanhagen got better at it, but he didn't need to use it in that fight, you know, because Rob's not going to jump on his back and backpack him. Yeah, totally. He might have just done that because he knew he could get away with it. But, you know what I mean? Like, those little things, you never know. I would say Al Jermaine Sterling's jiu-jitsu, I would give him, like, a 9.4 or a 9.5. I think he's really up there and really underrated. He hasn't gotten the respect that he deserves, even though he had a lot of dodgy um, championship performances. But... Right. I've got a question. With him and Marab, let's say they'll never fight. Being a hypothetical matchup, who do you think's better? Um, I think Aljo's better, honestly. Um, Marab's good, but Aljo's huge at 135. Uh, I think his striking's better. Marab's relentless with the takedowns, but Aljo's uh, jiu-jitsu and just the way he's able to kind of latch onto you and not let you get away once you're in a grappling scenario, I think that takes the day over the takedown of Marab. Honestly, do you think Cejudo fucked up when he left for like a year or something, trying to get like a better deal? Left like two, three years or something. Do you think he should have just stayed and defended the belts? I mean, if you if you want to retire, retire. I wouldn't say come back after two, three years. And I don't know how how you can do that and come back and get a title fight. You know what I mean? Like you should at least like have one or two fights before that and then get a title fight if you do retire and take that time off. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing with him is if he would have had, you know, maybe a top five ranked guy first and then went on to fight the title, he would have been in the cage, wouldn't have a two, three-year layoff, and that might have helped him out a little bit in his Ajo fight. Dude, he's injured his shoulder. He might be gone, gone. Like, he might never come back. Um... 
dude, they had that Cheeto Vera fight booked, and then he injured his shoulder. Like, dude, what the fuck is going on there? Like, hey, that that's what happens in this game, man. It's easy to to get hurt. All you gotta do is go with the wrong partner or something, or the right partner, and just something happens. And he's getting older. He's put a lot of miles on his body. Uh, he wrestled for a long time. That's hard on your body. So it's bound to happen eventually. We're talking also about when we were talking about the 145 pound division. So you got Volkanovski, probably like, in my opinion, the best fighter of this whole generation, including Khabib. I would put him right above him. Um, what do you think about him fighting um, Tapuria next? Man, I think it's a, I think it's a good fight. I really like Tapuria actually. I, I like his style. I like how he carries himself and everything. Um, but I think Volkanovski, he has, he makes amazing reads in his fights. He has such good control of his weapons and just the way he is able to approach the fight and attack and defend all at once. Um, that's what sets him apart from everybody else. He's not in there doing anything special. He's not really throwing crazy jumping knees or spinning attacks. He's just really good at making the reads on his opponent, figuring out what they're going to do before they do it, and capitalizing when they make a mistake. What did you think about Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz? Man, I didn't even watch the fight. I just saw the highlights. Uh, I mean, uh, if it's an MMA fight or a street fight, Nate Diaz is going to win that fight. Um, but boxing's a little different. I don't, I like boxing. I don't really watch a lot of the, uh, YouTube boxing stuff. So I don't really pay attention to that. They're just in it to make money and, uh, they're doing a damn good job at it. Better than us fighters. That's for sure. Is, uh, Nate too old? I don't think he's too old. Uh, he's definitely undersized to be fighting him a little bit. But like I said, if it's in the street, if it's no gloves on, I think he's going to win that fight nine times out of ten. What do you think about Nate coming back to the UFC? I think McGregor still wants that trilogy. What do you What do you think about that fight? I want to see it. I mean, I definitely want to see that one. I love the first two. Uh, just both of them with their their little attitudes, their own personalities in there. In the same cage at the same time, it's entertaining for sure. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, Isaac, for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to say to the fans at home? Yeah, just make sure you tune in August 12th, man. It's going to be a fight to watch. Um, big shout-out to my sponsors, Vertical Missouri and uh, The Burn Factory. They've been helping me out a ton. Both those guys, uh, both of those companies have done so much for me this camp, so I can't be any more grateful for them. Follow Isaac on Instagram, link in the description, and subscribe to Anything Combat on YouTube. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Sure.